Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Todd A., Jared W., Andy J., and Mike P. We've got Jay Serena returning to the show today. Jay is Chief Financial Officer of NewScale Power, a small modular reactor developer based in Portland, Oregon. NewScale is leading the advancement of commercial scale small modular reactors in the United States and around the world with its scalable 60 megawatt power module. You can learn more about the company on their website, newscalepower.com. Jay, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate being able to talk with you today. Well, Jay, I want to start off by asking you, what is your standout favorite submarine movie? <laughs> well, I guess that's a hard one, but uh, not too hard. So I joined the submarine force just as Hunt for Red October was coming out and right after Top Gun. So Hunt for Red October was kind of the answer to Top Gun for aviators versus submariners. So I guess I have to pick that one as my as my top submarine movie. It may not be the most authentic and best, but that's the one I kind of gravitate towards. No, I think that's a pretty good choice. So you can't go wrong with Sean Connery. Certainly, uh, that's a that's a good one and a favorite of mine. I, I think my my most favorite for myself is uh, Gene Hackman, Denzel Washington, and Crimson Tide. Yes, I saw that one as well. I like that one as well. The concept of somebody taking over a missile submarine didn't sit well with me, so that's why that one's not one of my favorites. Yeah, good stuff. Well, uh, let's get on to business. Uh, where are we with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's blessing and clearance of New Scales technology? Can you kind of walk us through the milestones completed this year? I guess since we talked, it's been about a year. And what are the final steps, including timeline, Jay, to get this hurdle fully passed? Well, we've been making significant progress with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. There are six phases prior to a rulemaking uh, that gets done. Um, we have completed as of in July, we completed phase two and phase three at the same time, and that was done about uh, six weeks ahead of schedule. And we're expecting that we'll be through phase four in December on time. And phase four is essentially the period where we have uh, answered all the NRC's questions. They have finished their safety evaluation report or SER, and there are no open items. And then uh, the subsequent phases are where the, the NRC's work goes to the ACRS committee, to an independent committee to uh, look at the design and prove based upon all that the NRC has done. And those are basically phase five and phase six. And we expect to be through phase six, which is the final phase prior to the rulemaking uh, by September of 2020. Uh, we're hoping it will be a little bit early, but even if it's on time, we consider that would be, you know, a, a great achievement, uh, given that, you know, our entire timeline was from start to finish uh, 46 months and sticking that timeline, uh, given how long it's taken other previous reactors to get through 
the NRC process, 46-month timeline and being on time is, is will be a, a quite an achievement. And we're confident that we're going to make it uh, by the end of September of 2020. Um, after phase six, there is a rulemaking period where the certification gets put into the Code of Federal Regulations. We expect that will be completed by January of uh, 2021 and possibly a little bit early. Okay, that time frame's coming right up and uh, good progress is being made. Can you expand just a moment? I, I just was thinking about what you were saying there. When you present to the agency a design that obviously is is a little bit more sophisticated, I suppose, from what's been used in nuclear submarines, how do you see that as really kind of speeding the process when you come with a design or a basis, I guess a foundation, a cornerstone, if you will, that says, hey, you know, this this has been used for a long time. We're just simply wanting to make a few tweaks to put it into a commercial setting. Can you speak a little bit to that and, and why you guys took that route? Certainly. So first, uh, our design is a light water reactor. So like also the Navy submarines, but also all the commercial reactors in the United States, it's a well-known technology you know, that's been in existence for decades. Ours is a little twist on a light water reactor. It's simpler and safer, but the, the principles are exactly the same as what the NRC is used to seeing and used to certifying. So that was the big advantage when you're going through the regulatory process, because the regulatory process in the United States is very proscriptive in that it has certain rules and regulations that you have to meet, and they're all built around light water technology. So one of our strategies was to go get our certification in the NRC because we knew given our technology is not that much different than existing light water reactors. There are some differences, but you know the vast majority of it is the same as what has been used in the you know, in the commercial realm and in the military for, for decades now, we knew that it would be able to meet the regulations. And where there were some differences, we spent a lot of time making sure that those differences could be dealt with in a way that wouldn't take an overly, you know, a long period of time to get through the process. So being a light water technology is advantageous. We also believe that's one of the reasons why we're the only small modular reactor technology currently going through the NRC process because those that are non-light water um, will be more difficult for them to get through because many of the regulations for those type of technologies don't even exist yet. And the NRC is comfortable with looking at light water technology. Uh, it will be, at least in my view, a little more difficult when we get to some of the other technologies beyond light water. And given that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is regarded worldwide as you know, one of the gold standards for certifications and of nuclear technology, by getting the stamp of approval from the NRC, that allows us to be recognized around the world, even in places that we may be selling into that may not have as robust of a regulatory regime. They can fall back upon what we have from an NRC certification that gives them comfort that, that our plant is safe and is going to operate in a responsible manner. Right. And certainly places that don't even have a framework in place, you can point to the NRC and say, well, go ahead and cut and paste this code and, and you'll be well on your way to, to understanding how it kind of goes. Well, that's that's an interesting viewpoint on how, how you guys have approached that and, and a key point about taking a technology that they're comfortable with versus trying to introduce something new in the process. And as you know, government can be quite stubborn with how they look at things. 
Well, can you update us on the new relationships that have been established in 2019? Uh, first, maybe on the client side, and then also let's talk about what you've done on the supply chain side. First on the client side, our first customer uh, lead project is uh, with the company called UAMPS, uh, the Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems. So they are a municipal utility in the state of Utah, and they plan on building a 12-module, 720-megawatt plant, uh, new-scale facility at the Idaho National Lab in Idaho. And so that project has been moving along uh, in the development phases. UAMPS has gotten subscription enough to allow the project to move forward. And, you know, we're in the process of working on contractual arrangements with UAMPS to, you know, really get moving on the development and then into a later on into an EPC contract. So that moves along, uh, is moving along steadily as well. The USDOE is not only supporting New Scale, but they're also supporting that project in Idaho. There is a plan, although the contracts aren't completed yet, but there is a plan for DOE to take two of the 12 modules, uh, use one of them for, it's called JUMP, which is a program, stands for Joint Use Module Program. And that's to take one of those 12 modules in the UAMPS project at INL, the Idaho National Lab, and use that for testing purposes. You know, it can be used for hydrogen production. It can be used for using different fuels uh, because what we have done is use standard pressurized water re reactor fuel because that allowed us to get through the regulatory process in this test reactor that the DOE is going to purchase and will be operated as part of that UAMPS project. They'll be able to do some testing that should be beneficial to us also going forward for any future making the plant even better. As well, a second module is going to be utilized to provide power to federal facilities in Idaho, uh, such as the Idaho National Lab. So we have support uh, from DOE to you know, bring that plant to fruition, as well as obviously a, a customer who is uh, actively getting their members to sign up for subscription. We have a number of other projects that we're working on, both domestically and internationally. Unfortunately, none of those have been announced yet, and I'm really not at liberty to discuss you know, where we are with those projects. I can say we have signed a number of memorandum understandings with different companies and even countries around the world to explore new scale technologies, several MOUs in Canada uh, with companies. We have an MOU with the Czech Republic. Uh, we have an MOU with Romania, the country of Jordan, a number of other countries in Eastern Europe uh, where we're either close to having memorandum of understanding with or we're working on to try to get uh, moving on projects in uh, Eastern Europe and other places around the world. So we're making a lot of progress with respect to deploying the technology, but the only one that I can really talk about is that UAMS project. Now, as far as supply chain, the supply chain progress goes hand in hand with the customer progress. Given that we are looking to deploy the technology in Idaho, the first module coming on hopefully by the end of 2026 and the rest of the plant coming online in 2027. And given that when you construct nuclear projects, especially the, the module, the, the nuclear steam supply system, which New Scale has designed, uh, takes several years to make sure that you have all of the supply chain and all the long lead item materials put together so you can actually deliver to have those, those modules online as scheduled. So we've been working with members of our supply chain and making arrangements to have start figuring out how we're going to deliver the modules. New Scale will not be manufacturing anything. Uh, we will also not be doing any of the construction. Floor 
owns New Scale and Floor is our construction partner. And on the manufacturing side, uh, are working with uh, BWXT in the U.S. and Doosan uh, out of South Korea to look at doing portions of the uh, nuclear steam supply system. Doosan has strengthened that partnership through the supply chain by making uh, an equity investment in New Scale, which we closed upon uh, this year. As well, we came to an agreement with Sergeant Lundy, large architect engineer firm in the United States, you know, one of the premier architect engineers on the nuclear side and in the power industry uh, based in Chicago. They have agreed to make an equity contribution to New Scale, and we have agreed to utilize Sergeant Lundy to help design the balance plant. So everything that after the steam comes out of the nuclear steam supply system, turbine islands, the, all the piping, condensers, basically the balance of plant, secondary side of the plant, Sergeant Lundy will be designing for us over the next several years in preparation for getting ready to build that first plant in Idaho in you know, starting that construction in the 2021-2022 timeframe. So the customers and the supply chain kind of go hand in hand, and we continue to work on both customers and putting together an appropriate supply chain, especially given we think we may be in a position where the demand will be such that we'll, we will need to deliver more than one plant over a number of period of years, and therefore we need to have a established supply chains given that New Scale is not going to be doing any of that manufacturing or doing any construction. So we've spent a lot of time both with customers and getting that supply chain lined up. Well, very well. I appreciate you sharing that information and it, quite a group and, and some real notable names, uh, household names for some of us. Um, certainly good information there, Jay. I appreciate that. Now, New Scale and Envision have signed a, a memorandum of understanding to look at uh, fuel technology. Now, Envision, I understand, is a 50-50 joint venture with Lightbridge and Framatom. What is the importance of this, and what do you see, Jay, as the primary driver for the company with this partnership? The importance of it is that currently in our base design, we are going to be utilizing standard pressurized water reactor fuel. There are other fuel technologies that are being developed, including the Lightbridge technology, which we believe can be more efficient and can you know, lead to efficiencies in the operation of the plant, uh, which could lower the cost of the electricity coming out of the plant for the customer. So exploring how some of those technologies might be utilized at new scale is important to us because it should be important to the customer to try to have the most efficiently run plant possible. And we're doing that basically as a something for the future, given that for our at least the first deployment and probably the first several deployments, we will stay with the standardized light water pressurized water reactor fuel, given that's what currently licensed. But we hope to you know, explore other fuel technologies uh, that could be beneficial for the product and then beneficial for the customer. And those could, could also be utilized. You know, there may be some possibility that the technologies get utilized in that jump module that the DOE will be purchasing for uh, testing at the Idaho National Lab. And along with that, Westinghouse Encore Fuel, what do you see, I know you guys have looked at it, what features of the Lightbridge, you know, Envision uh, partnership attracted New Scale more towards that product over Westinghouse's fuel technology? Well, to be honest, I'm probably not the right person to answer that question. I have an opinion, but I that's probably 
getting far enough afield in the technical area that I'd, I'd rather not comment on that. Jay, what will be the supply chain control with regards to sourcing fuel rod technology? Will the company be involved going all the way down the supply chain, looking at raw materials such as uranium, how that is sourced, where the uranium is converted and risked and fabricated? What progress have you made here and to what level will NuScale control their supply chain? Well, for the first several plants, we we are in a partnership with Framatome to offer a co-branded Framatome NuScale fuel for the first several plants. So we're using Framatome as a as a strategic partner uh, to do that. Certainly, in the early going, NuScale will not be trying to vertically integrate into the into the fuel supply cycle. Not sure whether we'll ever do that in the future or not. But given uh, what we have to do just to get the technology going. Our, our philosophy has been that you know, we will do what's core to new scale, which is the engineering design and deployment of that nuclear steam supply system, the module, and we'll allow others to help us as partners in other areas that would be getting further afield from our you know, core competencies. Very well. Now, that makes a lot of sense, and I think that's the right way to go. And Framatom, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is part of the uh, Orano group, which is, used to be Arriva, if I recall. So that's uh, French company is in my understanding there. Yes, actually, it's not part of Arano. Arano, Frematome is a portion of what was once Ariva, and Ariva got broken up into a number of different parts, including Frematome, Arano, and some of it went to EDF. Thanks for clarifying that. So, Jay, what key supply chain items, really the, the key items, not not every nut and bolt, but uh, the key items, what's outstanding out there that New Scale is still actively working on? When do you expect those to kind of be locked down? What information can you provide there? As far as the design of all of those items for the nuclear steam supply system, the design is essentially done. We are working with partners as we make the partnerships to do the design for manufacturing where the manufacturer will actually do that design and as part of the partnership. But other than in a few areas, we have not locked ourselves into any particular supplier. Like I said, we are working and have arrangements with both BWXT and Doosan to do parts of the nuclear steam supply system. And they're helping us with the design for manufacturing, given that that's what their expertise is. But we have a lot of components within the nuclear steam supply system that we're currently working as far as figuring out what type of components we're going to use, what companies we're going to use to supply those components. And that will all come into greater focus probably in the next year as we get ready to start you know, deploying, having to buy things associated with that first plant in Idaho. One of the events that has held up progress with Bill Gates's TerraPower has been political matters such as this trade debacle with China. And you spoke to it a little bit earlier, Jay, and maybe you can add to it. What things has NuScale done to avoid outside events that might slow down or even stop progress with advancing SMR technology? Well, I did speak a little bit about the reality of how we, the path we took during the design phase to ensure that we chose a path that was not going so far out of the norm from what's existent today that it would be difficult or time consuming to actually get it to market uh, through a regulatory process. So that was a really important step to be taken. And by going through, even taking the step to go through the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, which has been very expensive, it takes a long time. You know, it takes a long time to do all of the things necessary to even put a design certification application into the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. 
that differentiates us from many of those other technologies that are not looking to go through the Nuclear Regulatory Commission because it might take them a lot longer or may cost them a lot more money because they didn't, you know, their designs are different, more radically different than what's in existence today. So that's been core to our focus in trying to bring the technology to market. It's focused on let's get the technology to market in a safe, you know, make sure the technology is safe, make sure the technology uh, is economic along the way as we're designing it as well. But being first to market, if we need to make changes that can improve upon the product, say a new scale 2.0, we can do that after we have already you know, brought the base product to market to improve upon. We do believe that you know, that strategy being first to market is, is key to our, our overall success. And we, we think that it's working right now. Obviously, time will tell. No, I think that's a good point and process again, how you guys have gone about it has been one of the risk reducers. And, you know, you talk about safety, Jay, it's it's funny um, how the focus is always on safety when it when people talk about nuclear, but yet <laughs> it's, it's already among, it already is the safest and it's just uh, appalling to me how the perception is the thought that a natural gas pipeline or uh, a natural gas power plant or coal plants uh, or Boeing 737 Maxes, for that matter, are, are safe. And somehow nuclear power continues to not be safe in the public perception view. And in fact, it's completely the opposite. It's it's fantastic technology. And I want to ask you about that for a moment. The public perception of nuclear power. Has NewScale looked at doing anything to or have they already done things to promote the proper understanding including the correction of misunderstandings of nuclear technology to the public? Well, certainly we do what we can. And we believe that the technology that we have by the way it's designed and it's passive safety and very simple, relatively simple compared to reactors that exist today, make for a story to explain to people how even safer this technology is versus existing technology. And the existing technology has proven to be very safe over decades. You know, we do what we can. Uh, it is a difficult thing to try to move everybody's public opinion towards, you know, getting over some of the issues from nuclear power in the past, especially as a startup company, you know, where we most of our capital that gets deployed is has to be deployed into developing the technology, uh, not trying to actively go and change everybody's mind. That doesn't mean we don't we don't try, but again, we we do what we can given the constraints that we're under. Try to promote nuclear power and especially the safety of our design. And to some extent, I can see perceptions changing with respect to nuclear. I've seen it myself since I've been at NewScale now for, for 10 years. You know, one of the things that's changing people's perception is the whole issue of climate change and the pragmatism of really needing carbon-free baseload technology. And if you can't burn natural gas and you can't burn coal, which in some states we've already passed uh, laws, there are seven states now that have passed laws in the last year that say they will be carbon-free, you know, 100% carbon-free in the electricity sector by either 2045 or 2050. If you can't burn fossil fuels, your only baseload technology that can be built to scale currently is nuclear. And with climate change being such an issue, it's a tangible issue for people now, uh, given you know things that occur in our environment seems to be on a fairly frequent nature over the last year. That has really changed some people's perception about nuclear power. And really, even with the perception that by some that nuclear power is maybe not the safest, even though we know that it is, everybody wants to have electricity. 
And everybody wants, when, the, when they flip that switch on, they want the lights to come on. If we're going to do that in a carbon-free, responsible way, it's difficult to see how that's going to be done without nuclear power. And that pragmatism, I think, is changing a lot of people's perceptions. Yeah, I think there's been some of that as well. I, I've seen a little bit of changes there, um, certainly over the last, uh, probably the last two years or so. It is pretty interesting what we've got out there as far as power options. And again, really just this perception in my view, and I could be wrong, but in, in my view, the perception about safety regarding nuclear has also added in the West, added significantly to the cost of operation which in some cases has made it considerably uneconomic uh, compared to other forms of intermittent energy. But of course, we've got a cost adjust back for the intermittency of that energy to really get a true cost. This view of the safety portion of this, Jay, just causing extra economic stress for this uh, form of energy when in fact it is, is absolutely, uh, there's no other form that can compare of energy that can compare to it in terms of uh, the scale that it can provide. And of course, space load power. And it's sort of like the same thing with, with to some degree when you talk about things like Fukushima, all the focus was about this power plant that melted down as a result of some logistical problems that occurred. But people forget about the earthquake and the tsunami that wiped out 20,000 people. But yet the whole focus was on a nuclear plant, but I can tell you it's significantly less than the 20,000 that were wiped out from the tsunami. So it's it really is fascinating how the perception is so misled. Um, we're not here to convince the, the mainstream, I don't think. We're just here to uh, to prove it can be done, irrespective of what they think. I'll move on here. Do you see that the regulatory acceptance is really superior and is really the main focus when it comes to these types of, of technology innovations, irrespective of mainstream public acceptance, which often falls prey to whoever can really outpromote. For example, this overcapitalization specifically focused on two sources of energy, wind and solar, which is widely believed falsely by the public that it's the best source of energy in the evolution of energy at this point in time. What are your thoughts on public view at this point for something like new scale versus regulatory acceptance? Certainly regulatory acceptance and getting through a process like the NRC is, is very powerful. One of the reasons we're seeing a lot of more interest in our technology, both in the U.S. and internationally, is not only because of what's going on in the marketplace, but also because it's becoming clear to most people that new scale is getting through the NRC process, that we are doing it on time, and that there doesn't seem to be any real impediments for us to be certified. And that's very comforting for not only people you know, where we might build in the United States, but countries around the world. So regulatory acceptance is, is a huge factor for good or for bad in the, in the nuclear industry. You need to have good regulatory basis. You need to have that certification or a certification, whether it's from the U.S. or some other credible organization around the world to say that your reactor can be built safely and operated safely. Regulatory acceptance, regulatory blessing is much more important at this stage for a company like NuScale than the view of mainstream public. Oh, w without a doubt. Certainly the mainstream public has no idea uh, what a technology like NuScale has to go through to gain that regulatory acceptance. The number of years of development all the testing that's required and the capital that's gone in, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to satisfy both ourselves as engineers, but also 
you know, a strong regulator that our plant is going to be safe. And other uh, forms of generation don't have that impediment to overcome, but that's life with nuclear power. We need to make sure that we can prove that what we're doing is going to you know, protect the health and safety of the public. And I would just add to one one comment going back to what you said earlier is is I think the the nuclear industry, the larger players in the industry have done a terrible job of informing the public. And really, you know, certainly that's where the bulk of the the work needs to to come out of is, is some of the major utilities. And that also is starting to change a little bit. And it's certainly a push in the right direction because I think over the years there's been kind of a an ignorance to just really not do anything about some of the false information that has been put out there by the mainstream. On that topic, Jay, has there been any communications with conventional nuclear utilities regarding their support via capital to expedite SMR technology into their power portfolios? We have engaged with utility partners. We have a we have an advisory board which is made up of large utilities in the United States, a few from Canada as well. However, from a standpoint of them providing capital to move new scale forward, that's a more difficult uh, conversation because most of the utilities tell us that they'd rather they don't want to be an investor in the technology; they want they want to build the technology. You know, their support of new scale and technology is through their participation in our in our advisory board and through their participation in starting to do development on some on projects going forward. So I suspect once uh, New Scale has their approvals from the NRC, that conversation is going to change. Yes, certainly to some extent it already has been changing because most of the utilities, um, certainly nuclear utilities know what it means to be where we're at right now in the Nuclear Regulatory Commission process. So as we've gotten through the process, confidence has been building that and they, they look at you know where we are and how long it's taken us and what things we have overcome through that process. I think there's a general perception by the utilities that we are going to get certified. When we started, and certainly when I started at New Scale 10 years ago, that was a, a big question, a big question mark for a startup company. First, were we even going to be able to get an application together that would be credible and that the NRC would accept? Not necessarily from, well, there's two aspects of that. There's a technical aspect of being able to technically do all that work. There's also the financial aspect of having to raise all the money to do all the things necessary to put that application together because that application is a several hundred million dollar application. You know, it's difficult for many startups to raise the amount of money necessary to even go through a regulatory process. I think that most of the utilities recognize, even where we are today, that as we believe it, it's it's a matter of time and we think we're on time as to when we will get through the regulatory process and they're past that. That's one of the reasons why we're seeing some more activity from some of our hopefully utility partners that's going forward that might want to deploy the technology. Well, Jay, I want to switch gears. I want to come back to some other topics in a moment, but as you probably know, there's uh, being in your experience, there's been more regulations are, are being looked at with regards to speed limits on ocean freight, which, which to me is is crazy, but but nonetheless, speed limits on ocean freight, cleaner fuels for ocean freight, which makes sense to me, and other efficiencies with regards to ocean freight. What needs to be done regarding utilizing more nuclear-powered commercial vessels for ocean freight? And is this an area that New Scale 
feels that in the future as as their as their technology develops out and is deployed commercially that it makes sense to also look at maritime applications for the technology what are your thoughts on that and do you believe that large ocean freight will move more towards nuclear powered based on the the economics and also the climate you know increasing regulatory environment related to climate well that's an interesting business case we have not looked at at new scale yet uh, we haven't tried to come up with a case to say should we be trying to develop you know from what we already have developed all the money we put into the new scale technology so far should we be able to develop something that will be put on a marine application. We haven't done that yet. It doesn't mean that someday we might not, but we haven't really spent a whole lot of time doing that. There is, before getting to the point of putting these on a ship that's going to be moving, there's also the intermediate step of whether you could take a technology like New Scale and put it on a marine platform. You, know, you, you anchor somewhere that's stationary. That is something that we have started to look at that could be promising as far as being able to move the electricity source and not, you know, not move it on like you would on a ship where, you know, it's going more so anchoring in a place. And if you needed to move it periodically, you could, or the reality that it, it's probably easier to build on a marine platform than it is to build on land. We have looked at that and there, there may be some promise in doing that. But as far as, you know, utilizing it for actual marine shipping and transportation, we haven't looked at that yet. Certainly interesting. Now, you mentioned something that I want to touch on. Do you have any comments regarding the floating nuclear deployment for mobile power purposes, similar to the Russian programs, which are already in place to some degree? And what are your thoughts on the aggressive program by the Russians to deploy more nuclear-powered icebreakers? Certainly appears to be a focus for the Russian technology, and they are. I know that there's already one that's being deployed currently, and that is you know, what they're touting as you know, a viable small modular reactor program. And it, and it may be. And I do think that we could get to the point of having marine deployments, not for shipping, but for stationary marine deployments, that that makes a lot of sense. And NewScale has explored that to some extent. Although, to be honest with you, as a startup company, we are focused on trying to get the base technology completed and to market and do that as best as we can before we move on to, you know, other markets, which could be very promising. You know, there's a lot of application for nuclear power around the world, whether that's stationary marine, whether it's marine platforms moving across the ocean. There's remote applications, you know, that really could use nuclear power and that prior to the existence of small modular reactors, really there was no good technology to meet that need. Places like remote mining communities or Canada or Alaska, places like that island nations that haven't had access to nuclear power in the past because they don't need a you know large reactor they don't need a thousand megawatt plus they could use something smaller so there are a lot of promising applications of this technology go well beyond you know us at the moment trying to deploy you know at a 720 megawatt site my view is there are logical follow-ons to some of the stuff that we're working on now and they will take a little bit of time to develop but there is a lot of a lot of promise in that and it's not just NewScale that's looking after some of those things. There are lots of other companies out there that are looking at those markets as well. Right. I understand you've got your plate full, Jay. I, I completely get that. But outside of NewScale, do you think at this point with, with what the Russians are doing, do you think from a strategic standpoint, the icebreakers and the mobile plants 
do you think the U.S. should be going after that somehow, even if it's not new scale leading the charge? Assuming that it's proven out as a viable way of providing electricity, which I think it, it makes a lot of sense to me. I do believe that we, you know, this country could use a design or two to be able to deploy in that way around the world. There are certain places around the world that will deploy a, a Russian technology currently, and there are some places around the world that probably wouldn't do that uh, right now, given the history of, of the Russian program. And there is a opportunity that it could make good economic sense for, you know, a U.S.-based designer, Canadian-based designer, it's some other design to compete with that niche that the the Russians appear to be targeting right now, and, and they are going to be first to market on doing that. Whether they're successful in selling that outside of, of Russia, uh, that's yet to be seen. Right. Absolutely. No, I think there's there's some strategic parts to that, and I think there's the emergency application part as well. Take Puerto Rico, for example, that gets wiped out often by hurricanes. I think that uh, onshore applications like New Scales technology onshore makes a lot of sense. And then also, as you know, the military, uh, the U.S. military, the Department of Defense is looking at uh, modular reactor deployment for military purposes onshore. You know, it would make some sense to potentially look at uh, emergency applications where you can get power to a territory like Puerto Rico that uh, can potentially get, get hurt and be out of power for multiple weeks as we experienced in the last hurricane. I think that's a, a place that could certainly use some underground power and probably some, some new scale technology. I think that's also an interesting case in point, uh, aside from the obvious applications of, of mining operations and these different remote uh, power solutions that make much more sense than the alternatives. Well, Jay, I wanna move on. How about the finances at New Scale? Where are we if you can share some information with capital? Candidly, how difficult has it been to raise capital with New Scale recently? And can you share some of the sources of capital? I think you already have to some degree, but uh, can you give us a little bit of information on the, the current financial situation? Sure. So, you know, for a company like New Scale, and frankly, for any nuclear technology that is trying to become commercial, you know, capital is a is a big constraint because no matter which technology you're looking at trying to deploy, you're looking at you know development periods that are take a long period of time because you need to do all the testing and engineering and get it through a regulator before you can bring it to market. And you know we believe that it's going to cost us over a billion dollars from the time we started till when uh, our technology is deployable, and that's for a reactor based upon principles and you know, existing technology. It's a repackaging, albeit a, an elegant repackaging of existing technologies that are well known. So it's very expensive to bring a technology like this to market. And it also takes a long time. So New Scale got started, incorporated in 2007, but the concept got started in the year 2000. So we're looking at potentially having a first module online at the end of 2026. It's a quarter century of time. And part of the reason why time has to also do with how, how fast you can deploy raise and deploy capital, hundreds of millions of dollars. And NewScale has already put hundreds of millions of dollars into the technology. And raising money for a, such a capital intensive technology that takes a long period of time to come to market in a market where there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether you ever actually get to commercialization or not is very difficult. You know, that may be one of the more difficult constraints of any company trying to deploy nuclear technology. 
and we know there are about 50 concepts that are being looked at in the US and Canada from 50 different companies. I believe that all of those are gonna take over a billion dollars to bring to market. Some of them may take significantly more than that. And first, the world doesn't need 50 different nuclear technologies. Not only does the world not need 50 different nuclear technologies, but the world's not going to pay for, not gonna raise $50 billion plus to bring all of those technologies to market. So capital is a significant constraint. Uh, we've been very fortunate that New Scale with the financial backing that we've received uh, from both the US DOE, as well as from major backing up to this point has been from Floor Corporation, you know, our construction partner. Without the US DOE and without the Floor Corporation being very patient with the money that's gone into New Scale, uh, we wouldn't be where we're at today. And we still have several hundred million dollars yet to spend. And we have been successful in the last year in raising money outside of you know, the channels of USDOE and Floor Corporation. So I mentioned we have strategic partnerships now with Sergeant Lundy and with Dusan that both brought equity into New Scale, uh, which were significant. And we continue to talk to other supply chain members about potentially putting equity into New Scale. Given that we're, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel as far as uh, commercialization and the reality that you know, we have a fairly strong story that we will get the opportunity to build at least one plant, we are going to, you know, we do believe we're going to build that plant in Idaho, and you know, we have the government behind us and helping us with that. We have a customer that's committed to building that facility. So given that it looks like we're going to actually deploy the technology in a reasonable time frame, and that we've gotten through the NRC process as far as we have, uh, and that many believe that we will continue to move along in the NRC process, uh, that's made it easier to raise capital than what it had been in the past. Uh, that on top of you know, what we talked about a little bit about climate change, which gets people thinking about we're still going to need power and we're going to need carbon-free power. And when you need carbon-free power that's baseload, you quickly come to needing to use nuclear power. And that's caused people to, financial investors, to start looking at how might they deploy capital to help a technology like New Scale move along? So we've been very fortunate because we're so far along that we it, it has become easier for us to raise capital. But I can tell you over the 10 years that I've been here, it is not an easy endeavor to raise capital in this type of market. It's not just the market, it's the, the dynamic structure of the nuclear industry and how that all works makes it very challenging with the long time frames and the amount of money you need to raise the capital necessary to do what we're doing. The more capital you can raise now, obviously, uh, the better, Jay, as, as I'm sure if the big markets come on hard times or economic recessions, uh, these types of things that are uh, going to play out in the future, hopefully sometime uh, later on. But certainly as, as the market gets sick, uh, certainly so does capital. A little bit of a consideration on that front as well, uh, being nearly 10 years in a bull market uh, on the major markets around the world is also a, probably a concern for you guys looking at uh, the financial cycles that we're faced with. Now, Jay, can you just cover for us a little bit uh, for investors, large investors, can you highlight for us the current investment requirements and parameters that New Scale is accepting at this time? So, you know, as a non-public U.S.-based corporation, we have been limiting our capital intake. So we're not 
going out and doing general solicitation given the Securities and Exchange Commission rules. And we also have to maintain to keep us from having to fall under some of the SEC regulations. We have to maintain our capitalization table where we don't have many small investors. We have, you know, made a decision because I, I, I do get a fair amount of calls from people asking, you know, can I can I invest in New Scale? And the answer to that is yes, but there are different ways to do that. And you know, if you're not able to, if you're a private investor and not able to invest significant amount of capital, uh, which at the moment we're defining as five million dollars or above, we tell people New Scale at some point will likely be a public company, and you should be able to access and invest through once New Scale is public. The basic answer to your question is for individual investors or for corporate investors and, and large financial institutions, we need a minimum of $5 million investment to talk to a new investor. And that's just as a result of the amount of capital we need and the constraints that we're under as far as how many investors we're allowed to have and remain a non-SEC regulated company. Quite simple. If you don't have $5 million to invest in new scale, don't bother calling. <laughs> that's essentially it. Unfortunately, I, you know, I wish it were a different answer, but the way uh, the way things are set up right now, yes. I've been curious, uh, you know, as to as to what vehicles uh, you, you could use to uh, set up an entity, an investment entity that was able to raise funds for the company, and that entity indirectly has equity to where you could maybe pool the capital. But of course, that's probably a, a question for future consideration. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about. Uh, you mentioned it, uh, the public listing. Is that something that's being eyed prior to the first SMR deployment, or is an IPO still many years after that? What's what's your thoughts on that, Jay? Well, it's it's hard to say exactly. Certainly, we're not in a position currently to be talking about doing you know initial public offering, given we still need significant amount of capital, and at the moment, you know, our revenue stream is is tiny, so we're not in a position to be trying to figure out exactly when we're going to go or when we'll meet the conditions to go public. That being said, you never know when you can get to the, you know, we are always looking at when we think we might be able to start having those conversations. And a lot of it depends on also what the market conditions are when you think you're ready to go off and, and enter the public markets. So is there a possibility that we could go public prior to a plant coming online? I think there is a possibility that that could happen. It's too hard to tell right now exactly whether that's going to be the case or not. No, absolutely. And, and it's going to depend on where we are in the market. But Jay, I think there's some good things coming. If a company like NewScale that has a real feasible product that uh, that actually can deliver value, aside from these things like Uber and WeWork and some of these other things that, that have these massive valuations, I think the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel could be potentially a good thing. So I think you're on the right track. <laughs> yeah, and, and certainly we are, we are making progress and we, are, we currently are not, you know, we're not cash flow positive and we probably won't be for a, a bit. I would say, although, you know, I can't comment on exactly when we think we're going to go public and how that all might work. And one thing I can say is it's unlikely we would do that if we're losing, you know, gobs of money like many of the tech startups are. I mean, we're just a different, the structure of our company is much different than you know, those types of companies. Well, yes, it sounds like integrity is one of the first words that comes out uh, that I can think of. Maybe New Scale still has versus some of these other companies who are losing billions per quarter. <laughs> 
just absolutely nuts. And they and they proclaim that the future revenues are going to be huge or net profits, I guess. Well, let's let's move on, Jay. Um, can you speak uh, just just briefly? I know we've talked about this before, but maybe there's some revisions. Can you just speak currently just high level anticipated capital costs, single module and what the payment structure for clients might be? I can speak more to the cost of what we're working on currently as a 12-module facility versus a, a one-module facility. So we have detailed cost estimates on, on what it's going to cost to build you know, a facility, the facility we're looking at in, in Idaho. And we think the EPC costs or the overnight costs associated with that first plant will be in the range of $3 billion plus or minus. So we will be looking at you know, what it will cost or what the deployments will be for, you know, other configurations. So one modules, two modules, four modules, six, eight, because we do get asked because not every, you know, certain countries would are happy to have a four module plant because they don't really need, you know, a larger plant. But we haven't done the work yet um, to really cost those out with a whole lot of accuracy. We have a, a fairly good understanding. And as you might understand, it's we talk about both economies of small and economies of scale. So new scale, you know, the economies of small for us are that we're able to, you know, build a power plant with a small modular reactor that's done in a factory um, and not constructed on site. And that's very simple, safe, and therefore you get these economies of small where it makes it more economic than, uh, you know, having to rely completely on economies of scale, which is the way the nuclear industry has traditionally operated. You know, the the whole idea was over time you you try to make your reactors bigger because then you get to you know take that large capital cost and and spread it over a larger plant. So our concept's a little different given you know what we're calling economies of small, but there is some scale factor associated with if you have one module versus twelve modules, you still need to do things. You still need to build buildings. Uh, around that one module and, and building and building, it's not, the costs aren't linear going from one to 12. So we can say that the cost for a one module plant per kilowatt basis and a levelized cost of electricity on a per megawatt hour basis is going to be more expensive than, you know, the 12 module facility that we're looking at. You know, there are places around the world where that might be okay. We're probably not going to build a one module facility you know, for a utility in the United States that's just wanting to serve regular load because it would make more sense to build a larger facility. But places that, you know, say island nations that today are utilizing diesel fuel to power their grid, their small grid, you know, one 60 megawatt module, even though it might have a higher capital cost and higher operating costs than a 12 module facility, still may make a lot of sense because the next best alternative is more expensive than you know, than our smaller smaller options now i want to talk just just briefly about uh the lead time jay what do you see can you give us a ballpark on expected times from say a proposal an agreement signature to purchase uh let's just use uh, the 720 uh, megawatt unit how does that look from the manufacturer, from the agreement being completed, how does that look as far as lead time from the manufacturing side, site preparation, delivery, and startup? What's what's the total time frame to get one of these things delivered and commissioned running? There are a number of different ways of looking at that. One is 
from the time you actually start doing your your full site work so you start building buildings and doing things other than you know simply just moving dirt around on a site uh, to the time the plant is fully mechanically complete uh, we're looking at you know a period that's less than four years and a traditional reactor has typically you know that's well constructed it doesn't have issues is typically six years plus now, obviously some of the reactors that have been worked on recently have taken significantly longer than that yep. so because ours is modular and you don't have to do a lot of the construction you know you don't need to construct a containment dome because the containment is the module and that gets done in a factory um, that significantly cuts down the the time it takes to get from uh, when you start doing your site your your heavy site work to the point when the plant is actually putting electrons on the grid then lead times associated with you know the manufacturing of all the components so we need to manufacture that module you know we're we're looking at time frames for you know lead times on manufacturing the module that are in the you know the four to five year period initially and we expect that some of those time frames will go down as you know depending upon how the modules are manufactured right now you know there is no place in the world where, where there is a dedicated facility you know that's going to build new scale modules you know a manufacturer is unlikely to you know put their capital into building a facility to just do that until they have assurances that they're going to have the throughput to make that capital investment that they will need to build that plant right um, so we're we're relying upon existing manufacturing capability, of which there's a fair amount of idle existing manufacturing capability in the nuclear industry, given uh, what's happened in the nuclear industry for the first several plants, I would say. Therefore, the timeframes on building those modules, those initial modules, will be a little longer than when we, what we think they'll be when we actually are you know, churning out, hopefully, 12 modules per plant and building more than one plant in a year. But generally, a four to five year time frame for constructing, you know, manufacturing the module from starting to do the long lead items. So that's why when I tell you that we're looking at a module going online sometime towards the end of 2026 or early 2027 at the UAMS facility, and I talk about our supply chain, getting our supply chain lined up. If you work back, you know, those four or five years from those dates, you get to, you know, where we need to have things you know we need to figure things out and how this is all going to work in the next year or two to make that all happen that's right so you've got you've outlined you know you've got obviously fixed costs versus variable costs different associations with how many modules you produced you've got uh, potential bottlenecks in the manufacturing capacities um, and of course uh, your different lead times and Obviously, if that pipeline does grow, the order pipeline for you guys does grow, then obviously you'll you'll be looking at it, adding additional capacity via various manufacturers and, and so forth. When it comes to lead time and your guys' estimates on that and your costs, are you, is New Scale of the opinion, is management's opinion at New Scale that uh, we want to under-promise and over-deliver? When it comes to these estimates, given in light of these out, just just the complete, I guess, loss of uh, the ability to properly estimate conventional reactor constructions, specifically in the U.S., lead times, which are just uh, in some cases beyond uh, over a decade <laughs> to construct, um, are you guys of the opinion that you guys really want to stick to what you say you're going to do? 
Absolutely. One of the beliefs that we have is that when we go to construct that first facility, the design needs to be virtually complete. And that has not happened with some of the large reactors that have been built in the last 10 or 20 years. So some of the new reactors have come to market and tried to start constructing a facility when they were, say, 30% design complete. And that led to a lot of issues. So that's one of the lessons learned that we've taken to heart. And you know, when we're finishing the design, we're talking about finishing it to the point that before we bring it to the field to have it constructed, that we know and have a very good handle on what it's going to cost, how long it's going to take, and the only way you can do that is by spending the upfront on the engineering dollars that we are spending now to make sure you know what you're doing before you bring that plant to, to market for the first time. Because ultimately, I think our overall management philosophy is we understand, we think we're going to get the ability to build the first facility. Our ability to continue to build facilities after that first facility is based upon whether we meet the commitments and you know what we say, whether we whether we actually hit those targets. So if it costs us twice as much of what we tell people it's going to, to cost, or it takes us twice as long as what we tell people it's going to take, we may not get the opportunity to build a whole lot of these plants. So we are very focused on making sure that we can meet the commitments that we're going to make to not only the first customer, but you know, we're going to make commitments to, because uh, you know, USDOE is going to be part of that first project, and they are funding both, helping to fund both the first project and helping to fund New Scale. You know, we're very committed to making sure that we live up to what we think we can do. Because if we can't, we understand we na- we may not be a, a viable company going forward. It's crucial for us. Right, and I agree. Um, I think that is absolutely the uh, the foundation of what you guys are trying to do, and it should never be diverted from. Um, we look at you know constructions around the world today, and namely in in the western parts of things, uh, you know North America and, and Europe, and just the lead times to build these things, the problems they have, they've tweaked, they've they've taken a, in my opinion, a quite good product, tweaked it, tried to change it, tried to do this. You have an experience, you have perhaps loss of construction talent um, and expertise in the sector. Whereas you had a period, probably I would say, Jay, correct me if I've got my dates wrong, but between the 70s uh, and the 80s, potentially even in the 60s, you had a fantastic rollout of nuclear power plant construction, probably pretty dang cost effective. And, you know, it's uh, no reason to reinvent the wheel. They worked well. Um, obviously, they can always be improved, but would you say, what what is it about the current constructions, specifically in the Western world, because apparently these have the most problems, what, what's going on? Is it a lack of expertise on the construction side, people trying to t- mess with stuff that already works well? What's What do you see as, as some of the issues that are causing huge delays and just outrageous bills at the end? Well, certainly there are uh, lots of factors in all of that, but one of the problems that we've seen that is built into our design to counteract is those large reactors have become increasingly more complex as they've gotten large. And you have increasingly higher amounts of financial risk as well when you try to deploy a larger reactor. So the, the, the tendency in the past has been, you know, in the 60s, we started out with, you know, commercial reactors being 600 megawatts. You know, we got to building 1200 megawatt reactors and now we're building 
1400 megawatt and 1600 megawatt reactors. So the timeframes, you know, they're, they're just much more complex. You magnify the problem, especially the financial problem, because, you know, if you're building a reactor that's, say, nominally $5,000 a kilowatt, which most of them have unfortunately been higher than that recently, but $5,000 a kilowatt and you're building a, you know, two by 1600 megawatt reactor, you know, you're, you're talking about a significant capital outlay. That's $16 billion to build that two unit 1600 megawatt reactor. The financial risk associated with that is just enormous. One of the things that our design, you know, what we're trying to, to fix in all of that is by making the design factory manufacturable, taking the complexity off of the construction site and putting it into the factory and, you know, building in a modular way where the plants are not, you know, we're not talking about a 16 megawatt, 1600 megawatt, one unit facility or two units, two by 1600 megawatt, 3200 megawatts. We're talking about a, you know, for our plants, a, a 12 module, 60 megawatt per module facility that's on the order of about $3 billion. That can be done in a modular fashion. You know, it significantly cuts down on the risk and it's also significantly less complex than the existing reactors out there. So, you know, that is a main selling feature of, of what we're doing. That we believe that our plant will be less risky in it and that it addresses a lot of the problems that have come up over the years in the nuclear industry, that it's a, you know, a fundamental redesign to get us back on track to being able to build reactors that you know, aren't going to take seven to 10 years to complete and that aren't going to cost twice as much as what people thought they were going to cost when, when they were first put out. I mean, that is, we're very focused on making sure that for us that happens because if we don't, uh, again, that's that's crucial to what we're trying to do. Well, I think you're on the right track there because uh, I think in this industry and a lot of other industries, once you get to a certain point, getting bigger is only more detrimental. And I think the, the nuclear industry has has gotten a taste of uh, what that can do, and it's and it's hurt pretty well over the over the past few decades. Um, so I think you're on to the right track there, Jay. Well, moving on here, so there are a lot of naysayers out there including many in the energy community, uh, probably focus more on uh, these renewables, uh, renewable energy uh, forms, um, which are uh, questionable at, at best, and that people that maybe see SMRs as a threat to other forms of energy, and anti-nuclear groups who are of the belief that SMRs are a pipe dream that will never come to reality. Will the SMR leaders dispel and prove wrong these groups? What are your thoughts on how New Scale is going to do this? You know, that is our goal to dispel those myths, and we're out in front to try to do that. And we think, you know, as far as a Western technology SMR deployment, we think we're going to be first to market. You know, we hear a lot of those naysayers. And frankly, I've been hearing these naysayers for at least the 10 years I've been at New Scale that we wouldn't. You know, we wouldn't be able to do everything necessary to even get to into a certification process. Well, we've gotten through that. You know, the, the plant won't be able to do this or won't be able to do that. And we've, we've knocked down a lot of the criticisms over time, but there's still lots of uncertainty out there. And we have to prove that we can do what we say we're going to do. And I, I believe we're on the track to do that. And the technology, once we got it up and going, it will speak for itself. You know, it, it integrates well in with renewables. It is carbon free. Lots of positive uh, attributes associated with the technology, and the best way to stop some of the naysaying, and, and certainly, you know, I don't believe it's ever going to completely go away because some people, I, I'm not sure 
some people will ever get over nuclear power. It's just not something that they're not going to believe that it's viable or that it's safe or that it, even though we know it is. But I think over time, you know, once we get to deploy the technology, it operates safely, which we know it will, that some of those things will, will start to fall off, as well as, you know, can we build it at the cost? And is, will it be cost competitive, which after you get past ensuring, letting people know and ensuring that you have a safe plant that isn't going to endanger the health and safety of the public, uh, the next biggest hurdle you have to get through is, will this be economic compared against your, you know, your other alternatives? We believe that it is, and given the features that, that the plant offers, that it will actually cause, uh, you know, the grid to be more stable and cheaper than what it is today. Um, but until we prove that, uh, we will have a lot of people saying that it can't be done. Right. Yeah. And you can't win them all. And there's no doubt about that. And and uh, you can just best to, to get your head down and, and go forward with, with the plans to deploy and let the technology prove itself. I think to some degree, as of late, people are starting to see that things like wind and solar power are not the 100% solution and that there are going to be a lot of challenges coming down the pipe as a result of that market over the last two decades that have not yet to come to full realization and the uh, significant waste of capital that is that has occurred in that sector. And I think uh, aside from, of course, the future pipeline of replacement cost and uh, the intermittent nature batteries and of course the uh, how you take care of the disposal chain for uh, recycling and moving this stuff uh, from from uh, from a waste product back into the the energy cycle again I think that people are starting to come to the realization that uh, renewables uh, are not even though they're called renewables are really not are, are starting to become a, a sticking point with this is not going to be the full solution and that there's got to be some other way to get there well I want to close out, Jay, just by one of the things that bothers me a little bit about the SMR industry, Jay, is how small yet highly fragmented the industry is. You've got a lot of SMR efforts, and you spoke to it earlier, underway. Um, you know, you said probably around 50. I could certainly think of 20 to 30 different efforts from various private, big corporate government efforts uh, worldwide. Jay, it's my position that uh, in order to have severely improved chances of success, there's got to be some kind of consolidation of talent, capital, and best efforts to push SMRs through to commercialization. And I believe that, that NewScale has that solution, uh, has, has set itself up to be probably the best possible effort to be successful. You look at a guy like Bill Gates, who's uh, tried with TerraPower to come up with something of their own solution. And I would certainly say a, a guy like Bill has conviction, brains, and capital but perhaps they struggle on the regulatory side or lack in execution where others like NewScale have certainly excelled really in almost all of these aspects. Why can't this industry come together to some degree to improve chance of success? What are your thoughts here and how is NewScale leading that effort to make a consolidated attack to win the SMR battle and prove the solution? Well, you know, there are many different technologies that are out that are getting developed currently. I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing to get the innovation going. I, I, I personally don't believe that, you know, in the end, because of the structure of the nuclear industry and the costs and what's involved that we need, that we're going to end up with 50 technologies. It, it simply is not going to happen. 
you know, my view over time, it may come down to being a, a small oligopoly of having at most a half dozen technologies that are viable. But to get us there, you know, you do need all this different innovation. And frankly, most of the companies that are trying to do this will fail. New scale, we're, we're significantly ahead of most of the other concepts that are out there. I do think we're on a success path right now. And, and I do think that the rest of the industry is watching what we're doing and saying, you know, even as competitive designs rooting us on to get to the point where we go commercial because, you know, it's good for the industry if at least one of us can actually make it to commercialization and start doing something new and different in the industry. So my view is that it is good to have the innovation, but it's, there, there will be a shakeout. We're, we don't need that many technologies and most of them will not be able to, you know, the constraint that they're going to run up against is not necessarily whether uh, their technologies are viable or good, they will run up against financial constraints because there just isn't enough capital out there to for all of these technologies to make it to market. And, you know, that's capitalism. That's just the way the way it works. And I think it's all healthy. I do believe given the structure of the industry and, you know, hopefully new scale being first to market, um, that that will give us a you know, significant competitive advantage going forward and that we will continue to then innovate to make products even better, to make the nuclear industry, you know, even stronger, you know, going forward. Uh, certainly have a lot to do to repair the, you know, the image of the nuclear industry. And we think we can help that along, along with some of these other concepts. It's just unclear to me which other concepts will ultimately make it to commercialization and how many of those uh, will make it to commercialization. Well, it appears to me that most of those companies will, will end up failing. And, and Again, not because their technologies are bad, but because the world just doesn't need 50-plus new type of reactors. Yeah, and I think that's the whole part of it. As you said, capital will dictate. And even if some of these companies don't have a viable design, that at least they realize that as intelligent people and say, you know, this is just not going to work. Uh, for example, let's look at other, you know, nuclear SMR company number number one and number two and number three, these guys are much more ahead. They have more likelihood of succeeding. You know, a company like New Scale, look at the direction they've taken and, you know, look, ours is just not going to work. So let's accept that and let's try to support this other group or provide talent, provide partnerships to try to back the best. And uh, I think New Scale is one of those. And certainly I think that others out there need to realize, you know, it might be a little tough for their pride, but just realize that, hey, this is this is more viable. Maybe in the future, you know, 50, 80 years from now, we can roll out something better. But uh, as you know, the, indus the industry moves very slowly, Jay. And, uh, you know, I don't see fusion power coming out anytime soon. And um, certainly there's a lot of other power sources and different concepts that people are looking at that uh, aren't going to come out for many, many years. And, you know, there's these other technologies that people laugh when they say, oh, we're, we'll have this ready in 10 years. And other people in the industry say, no, this is going to take 30 or 40 years. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. And hopefully uh, there'll be enough uh, effort and consolidation to some degree that uh, that hopefully gets this out, because I'd like to see it deployed. I think uh, there is uh, some some fantastic things that can happen with nuclear. And uh, I can tell you, we're certainly not going to be strapping wind turbines and uh, solar panels on submarines. Um, that's probably not going to work too well. But hopefully we can see this come to commercialization uh, sooner rather than later. Yes, and that's certainly our hope. And we hope to lead the industry in bringing this to commercialization and then help the industry move forward uh, as well, not 
not just our technology, but other technologies that are behind us. We do feel that it's, a, it's important for NewScale to be successful, not just for NewScale, but also for the industry. Absolutely. Well, Jay, thanks for coming back to share your insights and thoughts. Uh, appreciate you updating us on NewScale. We're looking forward to definitive progress going forward, and we hope you'll come back again to update us uh, later on. Well, thank you. I appreciate all the questions. I appreciate the conversation and be happy to come back on sometime in the future.